everybody. Thank you, Wayne, Pastor Wayne, for that. That was awesome. Sometimes I need to, like, calm down for a second, especially right before I'm going to be talking in front of lots of people. Because I actually really don't like talking in front of people, which is unfortunate that I'm a youth pastor, and that's what I have to do every week. So here I am talking to you guys. I'm excited. So last time I preached, I shared about earth care, which is something very near and dear to my heart, something that I love a lot. And you were all so wonderfully receptive and enthusiastic. I've loved receiving text messages and emails of pictures of you recycling or tips of where I can recycle certain things that are difficult to recycle or suggestions on how we as a church can be more eco-friendly. So thank you for being so receptive and open and enthusiastic. Today I get to share about another one of my passions and that is our youth, uh, youth today, our, especially our youth, but the youth in general. So they say a picture is worth a thousand words, so I have some pictures to show you a peek into our world um, of youth ministry, so you can get a little picture of what we do. So this is um, a game called Mama Bird, so a youth would take a worm, and not a real worm, and put it in a, another youth's mouth, and then they would have to spit the worm into that egg carton. So if you were ever in a pinch and you need a game, this was a good one. Um, this is just some boys as we went bowling having fun. This is just some regular youth group shenanigans that happen. I don't know, that's not Oliver and Chloe's regular hair. I don't know how those wigs always end up in the youth room, but they're always wearing wigs. Um, and this is Sunday morning, the Sunday school, this is Pop-Tarts. These are unicorn Pop-Tarts, in case you didn't know those existed. Um, so they say unicorn power. That's, this was rock climbing, oh no, this was hiking, which turned into some rock climbing, which was very safe. Don't worry, no one, no one died. I'm not sure what's happening in this picture, but it happened, so I took a picture of it. Um, sometimes I walk into the youth room and I see things like this, so I just take pictures of it. And um, yeah, so these are, these are our wonderful youth. This is what uh, I get to spend time with each week. Um, and I get to, I'm really excited that I get to share a, with you about them today, not just our youth in general. But um, so I'm gonna start with the story um, of one of my first jobs in youth ministry. So one of my first jobs was at First Presbyterian Church in San Antonio, Texas. Um, I worked under Kobe, who used to be a youth pastor here many years ago. And I worked for him for about a year and a half, and then he left for Quest Covenant Church in Seattle. So our assistant youth director, Katie, became my boss. And then she left not too long after that to be a stay-at-home mom. Um, and then they decided not to hire a youth director, so me and my coworker were left to run this rather large youth group of about 200 kids by ourselves. Um, and I was very young, so I felt a lot of pressure. Um, and so it came time for our annual high school mission trip, and this was like the big deal of our youth ministry. About 50-ish people would come every summer. Um, it was the highlight of the year. So it being my first solo-ish large planning event, I was nervous, I was really nervous. Um, so we ended up going to Mendenhall, Mississippi, and things were falling into place. I was ridiculously over-prepared and over-planned, just how I like things, and things were running smoothly. 
until one day after our service projects in the town, someone came up and asked me where Samantha was. So it was a, a big group, so I figured she has to be somewhere in the building. So I start looking, and I'm looking, and she's not there. So naturally, I panicked. So I run into the van, and I'm searching the city, trying to find her, thinking the worst, like she's kidnapped, she's gone, um, what am I gonna tell her parents? Um, how did I let this happen? Sorry. Um, and so I eventually found her, she had just lost track of time, and she was still helping a local ministry. Um, but oh, the emotions that I felt as I lost her for just 30 minutes. Um, but I finished the week off without losing any other students, so that was good. But I'll never forget how that moment felt, how scared I was. Um, but it makes me think of the story in the book of Luke where Mary and Joseph lost Jesus and how they must have been feeling. So we're going to read that now. It's in Luke chapter 2. And so it says, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was still in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their, their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, where have you, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have anxiously been searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then they went down to Nazareth with, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So this is the only account we have of Jesus as a child or preteen in the scriptures. And it's of his parents losing him, which is kind of embarrassing. Um, I can't even imagine what they must have been feeling, thinking, OMG, we just lost God. So it was important that Jesus visit the temple um, prior to becoming a son of the covenant, as they called it, at age 13, um, so he could learn what was to be expected of, of him. So his parents were doing all the right things that good Jewish parents would do. And given that Jesus' extended family was traveling back together, um, it would have been common for the men to travel together and the women to travel together and the children to go back and forth between them. So each parent probably thought that Jesus was with the other. Um, but we can only imagine how distressed Mary and Joseph must have been after three days of searching for Jesus. I was totally panicked after 30 minutes of searching for my student. Um, so they must have been um, really freaked out after searching for three days for the Son of God. But this scenario raises really important questions for me. Like, where did Jesus sleep? Who made sure he was safe? And um, perhaps most importantly, who fed him? Because feeding a preteen boy is no joke. Um, so what is implied in the passage is that the community stepped in for a boy they didn't know. So they saw Jesus, they welcomed him to the table, they listened to him, and by the time his parents caught up with him, they were, he was amazing the people with his questions and ideas. Now, I wonder whether the experience of young people in our church is like Jesus's experience. Not of being left behind, but of being welcomed. Do youth in our church feel seen, heard, known, and welcomed? 
sometimes young people can feel segregated from the life of the church. Um, like they're going off to their own kids' table or in the basement, like literally we meet in a basement, um, rather than being welcomed into the intergenerational life that God intends for Christian community. New research at the youth, the Fuller Youth Institute um, that comes from Fuller Theological Seminary has revealed that young people ages 15 through 29 are looking for churches to welcome them to the full table. We might assume that youth want a cool church with a worship leader in skinny jeans and pastors covered in tattoos, um, but the research indicates that what they really want is a warm church, or as Fuller Youth Institute says, warm is the new cool. Um, so a church that says, you belong here, a church that is willing that is willing to accept young people where they are and authentically walk with them into adulthood. One of the most common descriptions that youth use for churches that they love is that it's like a family. Theologian Miroslav Volf talks about the warm communion of the Trinity to support the warmth in the church. To him, we are the church. doesn't mean we meet occasionally or we cooperate on current projects. Instead, it means we actually become part of one another which reminds me of Paul's explanation, uh, explanation about the body of Christ in Romans, that each member belongs to all the others. Rather than being loosely affiliated spiritual people having individual spiritual experiences, scripture tells us that we're adopted into one body, into one family. That means we're connected, tendant to bone, across generations as we work out our faith together. Now, the majority of churches in the United States are aging and shrinking, and those who study demographics believe that the overall decline in church attendance is linked with young people's religious practices, or lack thereof. It's called the rise of nuns, youth who declare that they have no religious affiliation. In fact, no major Christian tradition is growing in the U.S. today. Multiple studies highlight that 40 to 50% of youth group seniors drift from God and the faith community after they graduate from high school. However, some churches are growing young, as they call it, meaning they're engaging with young people. Both in Jesus' time as well as today, churches that grow young find adolescents who need our welcome and embrace and welcome them into a warm home. Because youth need a place to belong today, need a place that's like home. It's always been hard to be a teenager, as I'm sure you remember, but now it's more complicated than ever before. Not only is it complicated, but it's longer than ever before. It has been said that adolescence begins in biology and ends in culture, but the starting line has been getting earlier. Biologically, the onset of puberty has plummeted from age 16 to somewhere between 12 and 13. Culturally, young people are hit with a tidal wave of pressures and adult-like stresses that move them quicker into adolescence. From highly competitive sports, extracurricular activities for kindergartners, to college prep courses for eighth graders. In addition, the finish line is getting later. In comparison with other generation, previous generations, today's journey towards maturity often seems to move in slow motion. Young people are older when they turn the corners of identity, belonging, and purpose, typically equated with full adulthood. Fuller Youth Institute says that 15 is the new 25 and 25 is the new 15, meaning we have 15-year-olds who are dealing with adult-like pressures and stresses that move them quicker into adolescence. But we also have 25-year-olds who are still in the middle of their adolescent journey. 
So this earlier start and later finish means that there's a longer race for the youth of today to navigate as they become adults. Adolescence that once lasted three to five years is now 10 plus years. And in a world of social media, smartphones, and constant connection, that journey is incredibly complicated. And in the midst of this treacherously slow journey, the youth of today feel abandoned. Chap Clark, the author of Hurt, a book about the inside world of teenagers, says that the defining experience for this generation of teenagers is systemic abandonment. As adolescents' lives get more and more full of programs, sports, clubs, activities, stresses, pressures, and expectations, and adults are over-busy and over-scheduled, the youth of today seem to be left more and more on their own. David Elkin, the author of The Hurried Child, says, today's child has become the unwilling, unintended victim of overwhelming stress, the stress born of rapid, bewildering social change and constant rising expectations. Today's adolescents are about as busy as humanly possible. They average only five to six hours of sleep a night, when experts recommend eight to nine. A recent study showed that 13 to 17-year-olds are now more likely to feel extremely stressed than adults. Even more alarming is that adults closest to young people are often blind to their heightened stress. Approximately 20% of teenagers confess that they worry a great deal about current and future life events but only 8% of parents of those same teenagers report that their child is experiencing a great deal of stress. This busyness is not only a source of stress, but also keeps students from what they really need. Research suggests that time spent with significant adults, especially parents, is, provides the most important environment for healthy adolescent development. In all societies since the beginning of time, adolescents have learned to become adults by observing, imitating, and interacting with grown-ups around them. So it's shocking how little time adolescents spend with adults. In a recent study, they found that adolescents spent only 4.8% of their time with their parents and only 2% of their time with other significant adults who weren't their parents. Chap Clark notes that there are two consequences of parental and adult abandonment. First, the adolescent journey is lengthened because no one is available to help move them in the development process, to help move them along in the development process. And second, adolescents feel that they are essentially on their own. Chep Clark commonly encountered teenagers who viewed neighbors, relatives, teachers, coaches, pastors, priests, and parents as too busy or too self-absorbed to invest in them without an agenda. But contrary to what most adults think, adolescents do want significant relationships with adults who care about them. Patricia Hirsch said, what kids need from adults is not just rides, pizza, chaperones, and discipline. They need the telling of stories, the close, ongoing contact, so that they can learn to be accepted. If nobody is there to talk to, it is difficult to get the lessons of your own life so that you are adequately prepared to do the next thing. Without a link across generations, kids will only hear from their peers and social media, which I don't have to tell you is a scary thing. Like, really scary if you've seen what's on YouTube today. The Carnegie, Hall Council, the Carnegie Council on Adolescent Development recently reported that young people do not want to be left to their own devices. In their national studies and focus groups, they, they found that America's youth have given a voice to a serious longing. They want more regular contact with adults who care about and respect them. Yet the fact remains that every child needs authentic, intimate relationships with adults until he or she has completed much of the adolescent process. 
And this responsibility cannot fall to parents or teachers alone. Fighting the problem of abandonment is encouraging a wide variety of adults to take part in the lives of the young. The answer is relationships with adults who sincerely care. I like how Chap Clark put it in his book. By far the best way to help our young is by being a chorus of support and a choir of commitment. A 2002-2003 Teacher of the Year award winner put it this way when asked what it takes to be a great teacher. The same thing it takes to be a great spouse or parent or coach or leader in any setting. It's not mystical and it sure isn't a secret. It's just caring enough for each person in front of you that they know they matter to you. In the book Sticky Faith by Kara Powell and Chap Clark, they talk about the five to one ratio of adults to children. The idea comes from that there should be one adult to every five kids in a chaperone situation. But they flipped it and they said that we should have five adults investing in every one of our kids. Not for every event, um, but in general in our, kid, our students' lives. So if you're a parent, I want you to think through all the adults who are investing, really investing in your student right now. Maybe there's one, two, five would be awesome. And if you're an adult, are there any students that you are currently investing in? I would love to see us be a five to one church where the youth are surrounded with loving support of adults who will help guide them through adolescence. Because not only do young people benefit from a warm community, but the entire church benefits. Just like adults, the adults around Jesus, when he was young, benefited from his presence and questions, we all grow in vitality when young people are around. Youth bring a vitality, an energy, and a passion that we often lack as adults. If you want to experience that vitality and energy, just come to youth group one night and watch them play grog. We also need their unique perspective and voice in our faith community. In Alex and Brett Harrison's book, Do Hard Things, A Rebellion Against Low Expectations, he explains that youth need to have real responsibilities in the church family in order to grow into their faith. When we separate the youth and give them little to no responsibilities, we are inhibiting the work of the body of Christ. Effectually, we are cutting them off as one would amputate an arm or a leg. Youth need to be a part of the body in real and significant ways to grow into mature faith, and we need them in order to be the full body of Christ. So what can you do? Consider saying hi to a youth. Um, maybe not all today and freak them out, but sometime <laughs> in the next few weeks, notice them. Say hello, learn their names, go to their events if you can. A lot of you are already doing this, because um, I see you at their games and plays, which is awesome. So keep doing that because it matters. It matters to them, it matters to their parents, and it makes a strong statement about our church that we are a community of love and support for our youth. Learn about their world. Youth culture can be very confusing, um, but if you don't understand something, like flossing, Snapchat, ghosting, then just ask, just ask, and try to see the world through their eyes. To help you understand better, you can read books like Hurt, Sticky Faith. Sticky Faith is great if you're a parent of kids of any age. That's really, really helpful. Or Growing Young. Um, we're actually reading Growing Young as a staff, and it's been really helpful. Um, learn about their strengths and find opportunities for them to be involved in real and significant ways in our church. Pray for them. I've told this story before, but at my church growing up, they had adults take a piece of paper one time with our names of the high schoolers on it um, to pray for us for a week while we were on a trip. Um, 
But the sweet, old, older couple that got my name didn't just pray for me for the week. They kept praying and praying. They kept praying for me well into my college years and thereafter, and they would always ask my mom how I was doing, how they could be praying for me. And I can't help but wonder what effects their prayers had on my life and who I am today. So I want to invite us as a church to do this also. I'm calling it Adopt a Youth in Prayer. So I have been written the names of all our students um, on note cards, on, and they're on these tables um, in either side of the room. And so during, after you take communion, I invite you to go take one or two uh, or three or five, however many you want to pray for, um, and take it home and commit to pray for the, na the name of that youth, the person. Um, really pray for them because you never know how much it will impact or change their lives. And most of all, we can love them. Adolescents are desperate for adults who care enough to look beneath the surface, to stand beside them in the midst of their inconsistency, and to gently and patiently lead, shepherd, and guide them into adulthood. A wise person once said, nothing you do for a child is ever wasted. They seem not to notice, hovering, averting our eyes, and they seldom offer thanks. What we do for them is never wasted. It will most likely feel weird or awkward at first. I feel like youth ministry is about learning the art of awkward conversations. I have met with lots of students in my life, and especially in the beginning, it's a lot of me asking questions, very short answers, and then painfully awkward silences. That is, until they get to know and trust you, and then the talking never, ever ends. But youth don't expect adults to care for them, especially adults who are not their parents. So they will push back and they will be awkward at first. So I'll share two stories in my life, a fail and a win. Um, so when I was working at that church in Texas, um, I called up a student, a uh, high school student, asked her if she wanted to go get ice cream with me. And she said, and I quote, ew, no, why? <laughs> so I tried to hide my embarrassment, and I was like, well, Katie, because um, I'm your youth leader, and I want to get to know you better and, and hang out with you. And she told me, um, no, that's weird. So... Um, that was a fail. On the other hand, um, at that same church, I saw two girls come in um, to Sunday school that I didn't recognize. So I came over and I sat with them and began asking them questions and trying to get to know them better. Um, and they were giving me one-word answers, averting my eyes, did not want to talk to me. Um, normal people would say, take that as a hint and leave. But I didn't leave. I just kept asking questions and asking more questions. And when they didn't answer, I just answered my own question. I was obviously being annoying. I, could t I was annoyed by myself. And so, but I kept talking to these girls. I felt like it was a fail. So they, they left. No like, concrete conversation happened. But then they came back the next week and the next week. And then they joined my high school girl small group. And then they came on our high school mission trip. And I became so close with these girls. And it turns out these girls were from the Presbyterian ch Children's Home which was essentially an orphanage for, for kids who can't live with their parents due to drugs or jail or um, death. And so these girls found in our church, um, not just with me, but with other adults, the warmth of a home, place that felt like home, and they made our church their home. And so even though it didn't feel like a win at the time, it ended up being a win later. And that's why it's important for us to keep at it and to keep loving, um, to keep engaging and to keep praying. For us to be a five-to-one church, for us to be a, a body that we invite our students to the full, to be participate in the full body of Christ. For us to be warm as the new cool. Um, for us to be an avalanche of love and support for our youth. Because they need you, even when they don't admit it. They want, they need to be trusted to be involved in real and significant ways in our church body, even when they roll their eyes and complain. 
They need to be in a warm church, not just a cool church. They need us, and we need them.